This is exactly right. I'm Babs Gray and Black Lives Matter. I'm Brandy Posey and Black Lives Matter. I'm Jess Barker and Black Lives Matter. And this is Lady to Lady. everybody thanks for joining us uh on the podcast this week as you can tell from the intro to our show it's going to be a little bit different than our other shows we don't have a guest we're just kind of talking amongst ourselves about you know what's going on and our role as white ladies and yeah we just kind of want to have an open discussion yeah we understand that like you know we wanted to just record something in solidarity and like we know that you know we're just going to have an open discussion it's not going to be perfect but why don't you make sure that we're using our platform as much as we can um, as, as we're working through this part of the world. Yeah. Cause I think, I, I mean, we all live in Los Angeles, so there can be a tendency to like, think that everyone that, you know, or who, you know, listens to this might feel the same way we do about things, but the reality is not that, you know, we have listeners all over the place from mm-hmm. many different backgrounds. So I think it's a good chance to kind of like speak with what we're experiencing, not only in LA, but just our own backgrounds and things like that. And kind of, uh, have a chance to, yeah, just, I don't know. Talk <laughs> get it out. out. Get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll start. Like I, we were talking about like, you know, we, we all grew up with like, obviously like a lot of privileges as like white ladies and stuff like that. I mean, the school that I went to had maybe 10 black people total like I just didn't really have a lot of black friends living in a suburb of Baltimore like we just didn't go into Baltimore um we were just told um you know like oh it's it's scary don't do that and like it really at like a pretty young age I was like that's bullshit but also like you're still scared you're, you're it's, it's part of you it's a sickness that you have to kind of like question and put in and it takes a long time to realize like oh Baltimore is like has been so fucked as a as a as a city because like we just haven't put money into the communities to take care of it but you aren't that isn't the thing that you're told when you're growing up you're told yeah you don't know you're just yeah (laughs) yeah you're just you're told like oh the city is dangerous you're like okay but like why is a city dangerous taking that extra step is like something that you know just is isn't encouraged (laughs) for a long time yeah i would say that's one of the most like salient ways that i can look back and realize that that black people were really othered to me as Mm -hmm. a young person is um the idea of like predominantly black neighborhoods being labeled as bad. Yeah. You know, as rough and as bad. And that's something that, yeah, as a kid, I don't think you have necessarily the, the perspective to understand, first of all, no neighborhood is bad and where that mm-hmm. comes from, that they're just coming from a place of fear and ignorance. Um, but that's something that I just took as, as truth really until I was like living in Boston. And I, I remember being yeah. like 18 years old. And like when I lived in Boston, I lived in the middle of the city. And it was my first mm-hmm. time ever like living in the middle of the city. And, you know, people would, we were out on the streets like all night smoking cigarettes and just walking around and stuff. And then when I first moved there, I was like afraid of the people that would come up to us and ask for money and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a friend tell me like, you don't have to be so afraid of these people. You can just tell them you don't have any money. And like, that was one of my first experiences realizing like, oh, this is just like fear that's been like instilled in me. That's really not rational. 
Absolutely. Same exact experience moving to Philadelphia. I mean, like, yeah, the exact, exact same thing. I was like, whoa, this is a massive culture shock from what I'm used to. And I really had to re rethink a lot of the shit that, that I'd been taught living in like a wide suburb growing up. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Salt Lake City, so <laughs> as we <Yeah>. can imagine, <laughs> uh, very, very white. And I, you know, when I was, I was born in California and we lived in Sacramento when I was young and, um, so I barely remember that, you know, but, but I wasn't Mormon, but, you know, Mormonism, and this is something that I'm planning on kind of like reading into more because even though I wasn't Mormon, I obviously, you know, it's kind of instilled in me in some way from growing up around it so much. And yeah, Mormonism is definitely steeped in white supremacy, you know, mm -hmm. and um, so, yeah, I did not experience any real diversity. Sorry, there's, by the way, there's a helicopter flying over because there are people demonstrating downtown. So if you guys are hearing a helicopter in the background right now, it's the police going to confront people who are protesting police brutality. So that's fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah. So growing up in Salt Lake was, you know, just extremely white and I just didn't really, that's all I knew. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful that like I was able to move to Los Angeles and experience something different than that because same for me, it just, completely opened my eyes and like having friends who are black and like being able to hear their experiences especially as a comedian you know just being able to see people talk about their experiences on stage all the time completely opened my eyes to something that I never knew about growing up um yeah absolutely and I mean like I'm I, I also like just when I go I'm like super thankful for comedy even like whenever I go back to I, I make it a point to like go into Baltimore and see comedy and stuff there whenever I go home now because like the number their scene is so interesting because it's so small and it is so diverse. So, and not even just like along racial lines, but economic and racial lines. So you see people that have like grown up in um, like in the projects in Baltimore who are so funny and like speak to that experience in a way that is just like, I, I never hear that out here in LA. And it's, it's just, those voices are so fucking important to get out there just to, to humanize that experience more. Yeah. I would say another, like on the comedy thing, another bias that I definitely have that I just have to actively fight against all the time is I'm a really avid reader. Mm -hmm. I've always loved reading. I grew up in the American school system. So <laughs> even as a woman, mm -hmm. my natural taste that I gravitate towards is white male writers, which is yeah. disgusting, but that's what got me into, that's what I just was raised reading. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found that, you know, I really try to like, I have to go out of my way. Like I'm, I'm just always trying to read like people of color, queer people, women. And even then there will still be a book that I really want to read. That's by, that's by a white guy, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah, but I, sorry, good. but I will say like, to me, like reading fiction by black people has been a really good way. I mean, fiction is such an intimate way to like understand someone else's experience. And there's been books like, you know, like Toni Morrison's books and The Color Purple and books like that that have really profoundly changed my understanding of what Black people go through in this country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it, I was, I was doing this um, comedy quarantine last week and we had this co uh, comedian Z-Way on and she does this thing called Baited where she kind of like, you know, talks to non-black people and kind of you know gets in their face about about issues in like a funny way and mm -hmm. she was kind of like press grilling me and she was mm -hmm. like you know do you know about slavery and stuff like that and I was like yes and I was kind of laughing at this point because she was grilling me and I was a little nervous and just being yeah. stupid um 
Well, she was like, where did you learn about it? And I was going to say school or whatever. And the, and, but I was like, well, not really. I mean, I learned a little bit, but I didn't learn the extent to which it is, you know, affects mm -hmm. us today. I, have, I didn't learn anything about that. All I learned was like, oh, this happened, but like, look, a white guy set everybody free, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so everything we, we have to like completely relook at a, what we've been taught and like who taught it. I mean, obviously the white people want to be glamorized and want to look mm -hmm. like the champions. So you have to like completely take a step back and reevaluate the words who's been telling you, you know, the history the whole time as well. A hundred percent. It's like, you almost like have to teach yourself how to write with your left hand. Like mm -hmm. it's not, you have to recognize that it's not natural to you and just like relearn everything that you think you've already learned. And I think a narrative that's really shoved down your throat. I mean, obviously American school system really just pushes the, you know, the white Protestant male angle down your throat, but I, it's always, everything's always eventually resolved. That was yeah. history, but here's how mm -hmm. we solved it. Exactly. So it, it yeah. really perpetuates this narrative of like, oh yes, of course that was terrible that that happened, but we no mm -hmm. longer have to worry about that. Oh yeah. I mean, like I'm, where I'm from on the East coast, I mean, uh, Harriet Tubman was born less than an hour away from where I grew up. And uh, we're, we're taught her story a lot, like in school, like different levels, but it's always this like, and then she freed all the slaves. And then it's like, <laughs> right. then you go to the Eastern shore of Maryland where, you know, her, her home, her home is like where she was born. Um, and you know, there's Confederate flags flying within 20 minutes away from there. And you're like, how, how can you say like, well, we've done it all. And she was the <laughs> hero. And I mean, obviously she was, but it's like, but then this is also still a problem there. <laughs> Right. I think it's, yeah, obviously a lot more convenient for us to just mm -hmm. think that this, this problem is over and that we've solved it. And then when you look at what's happening right now, you realize that these are wounds that are very deep and are not going to be, I mean, <laughs> not going to be patched up anytime soon. And the only way they're going to be patched up or begin to be is if we, if we white people, especially white women, like step mm -hmm. up and actually start talking and obviously we're i we didn't really get into this you know i don't know if someone listens to this in the future and it's not obvious about what's going on right now but you know mm -hmm. it, there's a man george floyd was killed by police brutality in minneapolis and that started off all these protests and things like that which they're responding to with more police brutality and mm -hmm. living in los angeles um it's you know it's it's happening right here i mean there's also a pandemic going on so a lot of people have been scared to go. I mean, I personally have been like, I want to go join, but I'm scared of getting sick with COVID and that's another layer to it. But mm -hmm. we're seeing like, you know, I mean, we're hearing this stuff all day. People are going out protesting and then what they're doing is mm -hmm. they're literally texting us like sometimes they texted the other day at 520 that there was a curfew at 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. So there we are as you know, we're in LA, we're getting everyone at once is getting these messages that say, Basically, we can arrest you if you're not inside by yeah. 6 p.m. At 5.20, with 40 minutes left, people who are at work, people who are at the protest, they mm -hmm. can, they're allowed to round up anybody they want. I mean, this is the reality of what we're, people in these cities are living through. So I want people to know that, like, it's real and it's happening and it's at our front door. So we, like, mm -hmm. we, this is why we're all talking about it, because it's, like, fucking, you know, it's yeah. present. Yeah, exactly. That has been like a really strange, and I, I have mixed feelings about sort of this notion that, and I think you see it everywhere that, oh, the media isn't telling you this. The media has this agenda, you know, because I've worked in the media and I, while I think that it can be super problematic and very fucked up in the narrative that it presents, I also know that journalists, most, a large amount of journalists really are trying to just 
show you the truth. And they really are just trying to go out there and report and they're putting themselves in harm's way right now. So anytime I hear someone say like, oh, the media isn't telling then I'm a little bit skeptical, but it has been really crazy to see this disconnect between what appears to be being told to people on television news and what is actually happening on the ground. Like I've had so many people that, you know, don't know that I'm like quarantining right outside LA or wherever. They're like, are you okay? Oh my God, all the looting. And I'm like, that's not the problem. People yeah. aren't scared because of the looting. People no. are scared because of the police brutality. And they are. Yeah. They're shooting people with rubber bullets. I mean, we saw a video of a woman being surrounded by 10 cops being tased and tortured. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. They're running. A, a man, a cop ran over people downtown and then just split. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's like sorry, innumerable I, I, number of videos. I mean, like, yeah. the, the, the number of videos I've seen of police perpetrating violence or instigating violence, not just in Los Angeles, but in, I mean, I, I, there's no way you could count them. Yeah. It's an insane amount of aggression that's just happening. It's this really weird kind of like, I don't, ugh, it's very unsettling. Very, and it's like, who do you call? The cops? Like, what do you do when this happens? Well, yeah, that's what, I mean, I guess that's what we should talk about is that where <laughs> we have to come in and uh, use our voices because, you know, as white ladies, our voices do get heard more. So yeah, I think, yeah, we should talk about like, I think a lot of this is, you know, when I, I we're all culpable in being, mm -hmm. you know, too quiet, I think. And I'll definitely say that I have been. Uh, after Trump happened, I had this like resolve that I was like, I didn't realize how bad it was. I'm going to help. And, and I went out there a little bit and then I just let myself get too scared and too disillusioned with how bad it was and how like I couldn't help or do anything. And that was just a way for me to be lazy and and be comfortable mm -hmm. basically i just let myself get comfortable again and i think we have to make ourselves uncomfortable you know that the the video of the woman amy cooper mm -hmm. who i'm you know sure a lot of you know about but she was the woman in new york in the park who had her dog off of leash she wasn't supposed to and a black man started filming her and she called the police and she said an african-american man is threatening me threatening me and my dog and I didn't watch that video I didn't watch it because I knew how bad it was it made me so uncomfortable and mm -hmm. I had to I just sit down and force myself I had to be like you have to see what this woman's doing and yeah. put your, you know make yourself uncomfortable and fucking watch her because this is what is happening it's not as obvious as a white policeman kneeling on the neck of a black man sometimes mm -hmm. it's it's us weaponizing our voices in that way. And you watch that video and it's just fucking horrific the way she she escalates it. And she sounds like she's being attacked. She starts saying, oh, he's attacking me. You know, like yeah. she sounds like she's being attacked and it's, we have to recognize that people we know are doing this. You know, Amy Cooper's not abstract. We all know someone who probably has done that. I mean, we're not seeing this on video all the time. This is like only yeah stuff we're seeing so absolutely and like you know when she put out a statement and she's like i'm not racist and it's like okay you didn't say the n-word in that video but like that there's a difference between like being saying i'm not racist and just and pushing yourself to work on being as anti-racist as possible and it's like we it's i think we're all just trying to see like we know that there's shit that's ingrained in us and it's and it's a deep sickness it's like racism is the second pandemic that is attacking our country and it has been around for a very long time and it's it's seeing something like that and being like, okay, how, oh shit, like that is that was in her and she didn't even realize it. And I mean, I'd be curious to know what her reaction was watching something like that because it seems just so like, it's it's you weaponizing your own like white ladiness in a way that 
you know, that it, it's like that. I, I kept thinking of like, um, oh, what's his fuck? When Kramer like uh, had that laugh yeah. video. It's yeah. that similar, like, it's like when you're like backed into a corner, you just, this, that's where the racism comes out. It's like this moment where you're like, oh yeah, well this, I have this card in my deck that I can deal right now to get out of the situation. Yeah. And learning, figuring out where that is and working to like expel that from yourself as much as yeah. possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess that my original point was, I was, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a feeling of, um, it's just terrifying to be overpowered by people that have guns and tank. It's a very, um, claustrophobic feeling to yeah. not feel like, like, I guess that's been like an anxiety since the co- before COVID. It's just an anxiety <laughs> that I think has been slowly burbling, but it's like, mm-hmm. no one is in charge. Mm-hmm. There's obvious abuse of power happening. Mm-hmm. And there seem to be so few mechanism, me- mechanisms by which we can dismantle those institutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. a very, like, it's very just, like, scary, claustrophobic feeling. I don't know. It, it, yeah. Well, I know before before we started recording this, we all watched um, the police commission was, was doing a, a live Zoom, which... Uh, uh, they blocked at 500 people, but then it still got live-streamed everywhere. So they've been... We watched public comments for, you know, over an hour and literally everybody was calling in to say, you need to resign. The police need to, you know, be defunded. Cause in, in LA specifically, we're dealing with like a new budget coming out that would be giving them all raises in the middle of them terrorizing the entire fucking city. Yeah. You know, and it's, I'm taking a little bit of a heart and like listening to the number of people calling in and just being like, this is a, mo- a wake up moment for a lot of people. And like, there's so many calls that were scared that weren't perfect that were just trying to be like i also want to help in this situation i mean and i think that's it's like it's not a time to be passive with our politics anymore it's 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 showing up in every way that we possibly can for these kind of things to put the pressure on them i mean unfortunately police unions like have given money to a lot of our public officials here in office so it's like they and you know we all know people are beholden to who gives them money um to a certain degree but like if we can keep public pressure going to, you know, force people out, force them to resign. I mean, our our mayor shouldn't have a second of peace until he has done something meaningful in response to any of this. None of them should, you know? And I mean, we've been, I know that there's been like protests, people showing up in cars driving around uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti's house and things like that, just like p- trying to push the pressure on as much as possible. I mean, it's, it's hard when you know yeah i mean we're all we're all hopefully that pressure eventually works yeah yeah i think i think we have to recognize that Mm -hmm. a public pressure is yeah probably the only thing that's going to change any of this Mm -hmm. and if you can see how they're reacting and how scared they are i mean that's something i've been educating myself on you know um Mm -hmm. watching that documentary 13th and talking about they were talking about the 13th amendment and basically you know how the prison mm-hmm. the prison industry is just another form of enslavement and uh yeah and yeah. in that they were talking about this really affected me was how they've taken down uh black leaders in the past and movements in the past you know how the black panther movement was not really that big but they made them like enemy mm-hmm. number one so it's it was really eye-opening to just see like oh they're just trying to like bide their time until this goes away you know 
and and that's kind of what we have to do is we have to keep up the public pressure like everyone's really fired up right now but mm -hmm. and obviously you have to take breaks you can't do it every second of every day but of course yeah. in a month from now when maybe it's died down a little bit we mm -hmm. still have to be showing up to these commission meetings and you know putting yes. the pressure on and still going i think that's what gets away from people and it's kind of in the moment when it's all over your feet and stuff like that you get involved but we have to kind of find ways to keep ourselves involved and keep going. well yeah because i think the reality is that a lot of this shit is really tedious and boring like i remember right after trump was elected i same thing i was very charged up i was like going to community meetings i was writing letters i was writing postcards and yeah it was definitely a return to comfort but also like burnout a little bit like it was just like I burned myself out and it just wasn't something that was sustainable. And this is what happened is I feel like there was a complacency that occurred after that initial rush of activism. So it's like, how do you, we need to like keep this fire going for, to get us through the, those like boring afternoons where you're just copying and pasting emails or doing the fucking tedious, boring work. Like we need to keep the fire going so that we're motivated to do that shit. That just really isn't that fun. Yeah, we're, um, we'll take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some more of this and ways we can, we can help. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, we're back on Lady to Lady. Uh, <laughs> I'm Brandy. <laughs> I'm Babs. I'm Tess. And uh, yeah, thanks and we're for here it. discussing how the future can be better. <laughs> I mean, I think um, to talk from personal experience about like, yeah, I got, a, I, I was really fired up after Trump and then I got complacent and like, whatever, sad and just feeling like I couldn't do shit, you know? Um, and so I started trying to put myself out there in a way that I was like the most comfortable with, which was like, okay, what in my local, you know, area can I do? And so I started canvassing for Yes on R, which was basically a measure to have more insight on the jail system and, you know, hold mm -hmm. them accountable. And I'd never canvassed before. I was so nervous, you know, it was like, it's just really scary to just go up to people's doors and, you know, talk to them about something. Yeah. And I, I will say it, it was, if you're scared of stuff like that, I understand, but you need to know that these organizations who do canvassing and stuff like that are very well prepared. They, they run through how to talk about things with you. They set you up with all your material, you know, you feel prepared to go. And also, yeah, you're a human, you're not perfect. Like mm -hmm. it's going to be a conversation like between anybody where you're not going to maybe say exactly the perfect thing, but it was a really, really valuable thing um, to do and just talk to people in the community one-on-one -on -one because we're so far away from that now. And yeah, it really changed my perspective on all of that and I think made me feel stronger going forward. So I think any like, I think we have to get over the hump of being scared to do things because us being uncomfortable is, you know, costing people their lives. Like us not speaking up is literally costing people their lives. So we have to be able to get pushed through that awkwardness and mm -hmm. kind of like to get on to the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, that, that uncomfortableness, it's, it's funny because it's, it's so similar to like starting comedy too, where it's like, it's hard, but it gets easier the more you do it. You know, it becomes this muscle, the more you work and the better you feel afterwards too, where you're like, oh man, I, doing something outside of yourself in the service of others, like is one of the best feelings that you, that you can have. And it's, 
not something that we are taught like as a society to to seek that much either you know i mean we live in such a, a culture that is like oh me buy buy these things to make myself feel better but i always feel like a more sustaining happiness when i'm like okay let me do do shit for other people in a way that is helpful you know I mean, yeah i mean yeah. if you think about how many people live in a city like los angeles i think it, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by just how much needs to be done and how mm -hmm. big all the problems seem but i think it's really helpful to focus on what's actionable for you in a way that's going to be sustainable and that's not going to cause you to burn out and that you're going to be motivated throughout um and that works with your life i mean you also have to be realistic about your, your work schedule yeah. and whatever your family situation is but I mean, if you think about how many millions of people live in Los Angeles, if every single person was doing something of that size, mm -hmm. there would be a sea change, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really helpful to think about like what is realistic sort of like within your life. Yeah. Which is hard to do when you're scrolling Twitter and reading the news. It's so easy to be like, uh, right. fucking everything, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. I think like, I've, I've always thought about this, like, because there's been a need for a revolution for just so long. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought because my own scaredness and my own whatever holding me back, I was like, what if every person who felt like me actually did something? Like every person who was a little mm -hmm. scared to like put themselves out there or like it wasn't going to make a difference or they were going to look stupid or something. If every person who felt like this, because I'm assuming there are a lot, actually did something like that could be that change. So yeah. I think that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was really compelled to like get serious about I mean, I do three, a minimum of three hours a week of service every week. And I did that because I have an uncle who has severe MS and can't move. He can only move his left hand and he volunteers on a support line for people that have MS. And he does that three hours a week. Mm -hmm. He's like, if I can volunteer, everyone can volunteer. Mm -hmm. And if everyone volunteered, like think how much better the world would be. And like, to me, having that like number is like okay that's an actual concrete thing that i can do versus it's the difference between saying like i should work out this week and i'm gonna go running on friday right right yeah yeah I think, absolutely i think also something we wanted to talk about was um you know when when this kind of stuff happens and and everyone starts speaking up and and trying to like help sometimes we can let you know ourselves center center our voices at the mm -hmm. wrong time so yeah i think what happens a lot and like the you know cringiest things we see from a lot of, of white people and white women is that a they try to take credit for like hey i shared this and i'm doing a good job or they try to and this is one of the maybe the most egregious things i've heard about is like reaching out to a person of color and asking them how what they should read or what they should research or what they should do that's yeah. something we really have to be careful about because we should not be yeah. burden of that onto them it's very easy to find those resources and you're use google like it's, yeah, so it's like, not hard like, at this yeah. point those lists <laughs> are out there, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like you're really just kind of making yourself feel better and i think you yeah. really have to take a step back and say like who's helping like what's benefiting right here it's not they're not going to feel better if I hit them up. They're already experiencing a lot of trauma. They're going through a lot, you know. I read yeah. that uh, they sent me this post yesterday that was like, it was, you know, this, her, like the graphic on Instagram was like an ear and it was like, I am listening. And then the fucking caption was about how she was on her bike and she chased down a black woman to like ask her something. And I was just no. like, oh. Don't do that. That could be like, that's like a, <laughs> It's a parrot. It's like almost a parody if it wasn't real life for like I, what right. not to do. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was just like no, 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 no. They don't like black people. Don't need to like 
you know, be assaulted by your feelings right no. now is just not the not the point of it. But I think it's an easy thing that people get caught up in because they want like to feel like they're helping. But mm -hmm. I think just kind of we'll we'll put up a lot of resources for this and stuff and links for you guys to look at. But um, mm -hmm. it's a really good thing to kind of look at that and look at ways that your that microaggressions and things like that can actually hurt the situation. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I think too. Another thing, like when this happens or any, I don't know if you have family members that aren't on the same page with you politically mm -hmm. um i think that's of course like a very effective way in which white people can you know white people that get it can can affect change to try to have conversations with their family members but i will say that i start to get frustrated and i don't really know how to deal with that point in the conversation where you realize that like you're not agreeing on the same reality and i don't know how to surmount that point I'll, i'm happy to have the conversation and i'm happy to talk but I find myself, when I get to that point in the conversation with someone, I just get really pissed off and I'm no longer being, I just say, well, fuck you. I mean, like, you don't, what do you, what do I say to someone? You know what I mean? Like when, when, when you can't come to an, yeah. an agreement on like, what to me is a very objective fact, I'm really having a hard time finding out how to keep the conversation going from there. Even though I know that it's important that I do, I just, I get frustrated and I'm just at a loss and I just end up getting pissed off and giving up sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's, it's hard. I think it's like, uh, I mean, my, my, my dad is a, was a Trump voter um, and he watches Fox News all the time. He's been poisoned by the uh, alternative reality that they've been feeding him for years. I mean, it's, it's so fucking hard. And it's like, I mean, I at least like try to send, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to send you something, re read this and we'll talk about it afterwards, I guess. Like I tried to just give him homework <laughs> yeah but i feel like i said those articles and then they're like yeah of course the lamestream media is saying that yeah. it's like okay yeah um, yeah okay yeah, yeah it's you know it's, it's like it's they scary. always yeah. have a fucking answer for everything it's like all right well you're yeah. right i'm a com i'm a complicit sheep because of what i'm drinking in the tap water you're right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's i mean honestly that's a big a big reason why i uh i backed off before is because you know, when, it, when Trump was happening, I was really, when Trump was happening, you know, whatever, when he was about, to, when yeah. he was about to get elected, I was extremely charged up and I was having mm -hmm. a lot of confrontations with my, my family and my dad, especially. And that was part of the reason why I stepped away from being so active was because I was being gaslit by him. Yeah. And because I didn't want to not talk to my father, we weren't, we weren't speaking mm -hmm. for a while. And uh, so that's why I backed off of it. And, and mm -hmm. it's, it is really hard to confront that because you're like, what do I do here? This is my, you know, family. I need to like yeah. talk to them and I want to talk about these things, but they seem like a brick wall at some point. Mm -hmm. So that is really something hard to confront. And I think the only thing you can do is put it in their reality. Like when I came out to my mom that I was bisexual and I had to say to her, like, I'm not an abstract concept mom. Like I'm your daughter and I mm -hmm. have a really, I've had a relationship with a woman that I was scared to tell you about. Like, this is not, you know, out of your realm of reality. So I think mm -hmm. any way that you can talk to them about a person, how it's like, it is real and it affect, or I don't know how you're involved or whatever, maybe helps. I don't know. It's really hard when they don't believe facts and they're kind of like, but then you feel even more gaslit when you do insert it and then they continue I, to gaslight you. Then the gaslighting becomes really personal. Cause you're like, I just fucking told you 
this is my experience. So now you're sitting here telling me that even what I'm telling you is my own firsthand experience isn't valid. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, at some point, like it is maybe the energy is better spent elsewhere. I mean, I think it's definitely worth trying to have the conversation as much as you can, Mm -hmm. but at some point, I don't know if it, if if it's just falling on deaf ears, I don't really know what the solution is then. I do think that like we, we also do have like the the ace that we do have is that like they want to talk they they want us in their lives so being able to withhold that as like to weaponize that a little bit sometimes like i i know at least with my dad like we i remember when 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 kavanaugh happened we had like a pretty explosive intense conversation about it and then i just did not talk to him for two months and then he finally called me and my dad never calls me (laughs) it's like a i gotta be the one to call and i got this like very kind of quiet hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. What's going on? And I was like, oh, hi. Wow. Do you know why I didn't talk to you for two months? These are the consequences to the shit that will happen to you if you don't even just, like, try to listen to me. And, I mean, it's just, it's it's fucking hard. I mean, it's been, what, almost three, almost four years of just, like, a constant moving the line with him. Um, but, you know, I've I've seen... I mean, I, I've, I've definitely seen some improvement in some ways, which is good. I mean, we actually, the, the par- hard part is, is, like, we agree, when we can agree on facts, we agree on more than we disagree with. And it's so hard just to get past that part where it's like, okay, here's a, hypo- here's a hypothetical. If I, I'll, I'll say this where I'm just like, hypothetically, if this happened, how would you feel about it? And I'd be like, well, I'd feel like this. And I'm like, yeah, that's the way you feel. Okay, so this is actually the reality, so you actually feel this way. And it's just, I think it's just like, you're not going to get a win in the moment. Um, they, at least with my dad, I feel like my dad needs to feel like he came up with a thought himself. <laughs> so I'm just like slowly just being like, oh, if I keep saying these things to you, maybe you'll, you'll eventually think that you thought it yourself. <laughs> Trick them into thinking they came up yeah. with it. Which is yeah. exhausting and so yeah. and, and <laughs> another tactic that I have found is moderately useful is starting mm-hmm. out with, I see where you're saying that. Mm-hmm. Or I agree with you about maybe this small point so that it doesn't yeah. feel quite so mm-hmm. antagonistic. I mean, I, I have found that that's a good... good mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of tried to... I uh, My approach now has been... And actually, I did, I did call my dad and we actually had a very productive conversation, which I think also you have to not be scared about... I mean, mm-hmm. we're all different. Obviously, all, you know, we all have different course, relationships yeah. and who knows what where you're family lies but I had to like make myself do it because we don't really talk that much in general and I had to be like okay I gotta call him and like tell him what's going on here and you know kind of gauge how he feels and we actually Mm -hmm. had a really good conversation I was very surprised at it that he he understood why everything was going on because he understood that this you know Mm -hmm. that this wound had not been like healed at all and that it was necessary and I was shocked I mean I was not expecting him to say that Mm -hmm. so I was like thank god you know like he gets it a little bit so Mm -hmm. You never know either. I, I think that this is there's a reason why this um, George Floyd's murder is a tipping point, and it's because there's just no way to avoid it. Uh, everyone is seeing this video, and that's why there are so many people who are outraged. So, mm-hmm. if there is any opportunity to really connect with people who in your family who maybe you've had differences in the past, I think it's a good moment to do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's like another thing that I think is important to like talk to. I mean, obviously it sucks to have to like deal with like the fragility of family members that like are take things so personally immediately. I mean, like I've dealt with a ton of that, but it is like just to be like, this is not 
an attack on you. This is like a system that it isn't even an attack necessarily on your specific cop friends if you have them. It is the system through which they function, you know, where it's like police were started to keep slaves from running away. And they've always just been there to um, protect private property of the wealthy. And that is what they're continuing to do today. And it's like, I, I can accept that there's probably people that join up thinking, you know what, I'm going to be a good one and I'm going to do my best and I'm going to try to like change it from the inside. But when the system itself is rotten, it needs, it needs to be dismantled and re put, put back together. You know, it's, it's like anything. If your house has termites, you got to build a new house. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a very universal tendency when you're part of a group that you feel like is being given a bad name, then you're, you're, you're first, I think it's a very like egoic common tendency to say like, well, not me, not yeah. my brother, not my dad, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, I certainly have that instinct sometimes people talk about white women to want to be like, mm -hmm. but not me. I try to be cool. You know what I mean? But it's like, no, yeah, I'm doing my best. Yeah. the reality is I am part of that group and I am part mm -hmm. of that population and I'm much better served trying to look at myself than who than asserting that I'm not racist. How is that productive to anyone? Yeah, yeah exactly. it, it really is like you have to suck it up and just understand mm -hmm. that you've still benefited from this system. Yes. And that system mm -hmm. is still keeping people of color yeah. oppressed. And that's just what it comes down to. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like white women are in a situation where like, you know, we have felt and, and rightfully oppressed by, you know, by the system in a lot of ways. But like we also have have that experience that benefit from white supremacy at the same time and like that puts us in a position where like we need to embrace our empathy and get away from this like scarcity mindset of like no 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 but like i have i finally am getting a little bit and now i need to just like make sure i'm holding on to it for myself and i think that is, that's just so just ingrained in like where our place is in society and it's difficult to to even realize how that shows itself oh it completely is i mean that scarcity yeah. mindset is so prevalent because that's what people mm -hmm. want us to feel they want us to fight mm -hmm. each other over the one position Traps. that's available you know mm -hmm. because yeah, yeah they have all the power mm -hmm. so it's like oh i'll give you a little bit and let you all fucking mm -hmm. you know fight over that well and, and the flip side of that too is like i mean i mean even just even just like as a white lady growing up like i had so many guy friends and I was like one of like the few girls that was friends with guys. And I was always like the go-to for a lot of stuff for like the ladies. And then like, as I've gotten older, just like fellowship with women in general is something that like, I kind of had to train myself to a certain degree to be like, oh yeah, I like this. It isn't like me versus other people, you know? And it's like extending that to race and class and, and gender identity and everything too. It's like the more community that you can build with yourself, the more fulfilled you will feel within yourself. You know, I mean, we we live in a country that like tries to make us like the top of our own tiny pyramid schemes, and it's always lonely at the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Want to be in that bottom, baby? Hang out oh, with everybody. I will say, I just have to say, <laughs> side note, my cousin. I've mm -hmm. never got a pyramid scheme message the other day, and I just got one on Facebook a few, a few oh, days ago. Oh, it is the end times, fuck. Thank you. First is time. it from a family member? It's from a family member? It's from a family member, Aww. and it's about 
like you know wellness oils or something ah, big, like that, some so. acai berry shit yeah, yeah. yeah so i, like, I yep, am shocked i mean as a white lady from from as a white lady from the suburbs i am shocked that this is your first message i don't know how you didn't get that girl scout badge sooner <laughs> i know i know i really am too but yeah growing up in salt lake i'm like i know all these women are part of this but i think that they thought i they lost me a long time ago so yeah um but i would do i will say like yeah speaking i've been really you know, it's, I think we need to speak to like the fact that it, it is scary doing this work because you don't want to misspeak. You know, you, it's not mm -hmm. a perfect process. Like mm -hmm. you're going to do things that are wrong and that's okay. I think you need to learn from it and keep moving forward. Don't let that scare you off. I, I have seen a lot of people I know from Salt Lake posting about things and I'm really proud mm -hmm. of them because infiltrating that Mormon background that they grew up with is very intense and some people have posted kind of vague, like, I went to the Civil Rights Museum and I felt this and that way. It's like, which is good, but they're still not saying Black Lives Matter because they're too mm -hmm. scared to confront that with their mm -hmm. loved ones. And it's like, it's so important to get those words into, mm -hmm. into the, like, the minds of those people to be like, no, you have to prioritize this right now because this is what's at stake. Mm -hmm. So I know it's scary to put it out there, but just keep doing it and know that there are people who appreciate, you know, you doing the work. Yeah. And like, as, as white ladies and we, a lot of our listeners are white ladies. We met you guys. Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> we love a lady, a brunette with bangs shout out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like um, one of our powers is speaking to managers and um, I think it's time to harness that power and take that manager tone, take that tone. <laughs> um to your city councilman to the head of your police chiefs and if you can just like bring that to them that tone is so annoying no one it, wants it, to listen it, to that no one no that's they, why they, they just shut you up yeah. yeah yeah they will do whatever it takes to get rid of that tone so mm -hmm. use your power use your power with a white lady voice to yeah our voices get through yeah. more than a lot of others do and it's it's us well, we just need to be trying and so much of the racism in this country really, especially after the Civil War, hinged on the idea of white women being victimized by yes. black men. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think knowing that it's really important for us to be conscious of that and really not perpetuate that and really not position yourself as a victim when possible, which is not to say that, you know, if you're a victim of something you shouldn't seek help or whatever. But I mean, I think, I think being conscious of, and just maybe like studying the history of the way that, mm -hmm. that fear of victimizing white women has informed racism, racism in this country can kind of help mm -hmm. identify blind spots. Yeah, that we have now. for sure. Well, yeah. it's, it's stuff as easy as just like, when you're hearing about like looting right now, what does your brain picture when you say looting? Um, where does your brain go? And if your brain just went to like a bunch of like black protesters looting something, ugh, question that because I mean, even just speaking from Baltimore specifically, uh, when Freddie Gray was murdered in 2015, um, a lot of pharmacies were looted. And then it came out a couple years later that those pharmacies were looted by um, roving gangs of police that then put those pills back into the community. Um, so everything is not what you necessarily think it is. And taking that second to question, ooh, this, is, this was my gut reaction. Where, where, where is that gut reaction informed from? And is that actually right? probably not <laughs> well and you have to know that there's obviously what they want to show on tv is like anything we want to want everyone wants to you know 
see mm -hmm. that shit happening on TV. They don't want to see the thousands of people who are sitting mm -hmm. and like, you know, peacefully protesting. That's not what anyone wants to show. So just know from people with experience and, you know, mm -hmm. that that is happening and that's the majority of what's happening. And that also it's every people's right to try to get fucking pissed yeah. off too. And to every right to. to try and destroy the representation of what, of like, mm -hmm. you know, capitalism that's fucked them over as well. Like that yeah. the problem is that we, I'm trying to, fuck, I'm going to missay this tweet, but if you want to act like everything, anything changes without this, it really doesn't. I mean, yeah. there's been so many peaceful protests and we haven't seen fucking shit from it. So mm -hmm. unfortunately it's kind of people mm -hmm. pushed to a point where they know that they're not going to get attention any other way. Well, and it's, it's the same thing that happens with so many marginalized groups where it's like, you just can't win either because Right. After the 1992 riots, the big, you know, criticism that was waged against those protests was like, oh, they looted their own neighborhoods. How can we respect them when they're looting their own neighborhoods? So this time they're like, fine, we're coming to Beverly Hills. Yeah. And then they can't win because they came to the rich neighborhoods. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and none of that also acknowledges that those neighborhoods were already looted by the city that has been defunding their school systems and their public services. And, and like so many... Uh, black and brown neighborhoods don't have access to grocery stores or to banks. You know, they just have uh, predatory paycheck cashing places and things like that that are there just to continue to keep them down. And they've been looted by our local and our federal governments for since the founding of them. You know, so many of them were set up specifically to keep people desegregated and to not give them the opportunities that that we had growing up. I mean, I went to a public school that I didn't pay for a dime of that school. I have one. I but my, my school was like in a white suburb of DC and it was one of the top three high schools in the state of Maryland, which is one of the top three high schools like in the entire, top three states in the entire country. Like I didn't pay for that education. I drive 20 minutes away and then there are schools that are using textbooks that are 40 years old and falling apart. Um, and that's where the money needs to be going instead. And the work is not glamorous and it's not gonna be fun, but I mean, there's times that you can make it fun. Like you can be organizing like calling groups as friends and stuff. I mean, like, I, and this is not to, like, say, oh, me, but, like, I, I I texted a bunch of, like, um like black friends this morning. I was like, hey, do you need someone to go to the grocery store and, like, pick up shit for you? Like, if you don't feel like leaving your house right now, it's, like, ways that you can, like, be of service to people, like, tactically, too, that it isn't just necessarily even, like, going to, you know, go to the marches if you can. If you, like, are immunocompromised or something and you can't go, like, there are other ways. Like, think outside the box. What are ways that you can help locally and hyper-locally. Yeah, I mean, I think the key to keeping anything sustainable is finding some joy in it, and I guess that is kind of like, I do think you, I mean, compassion fatigue is a very real thing. Like, yeah. it's a very real thing, and it's something you need to safeguard yourself against. So I think, like, yeah, finding things that you can, find. yeah, if it's something, if you really enjoy doing stuff with other people, maybe it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it is doing parties, or yeah, if you enjoy working with kids, find the place, find something that there's going to be something that you look forward to. And Are I you think, a good cook? Can you like yeah. make a batch of something and go drop it off to organizers, you know, all yeah. sorts of things you can do to help out. Yeah, I graphic design, I lent my graphic design skills to people who might need them for, you know, posters and things like mm -hmm. that. I, I, there's, there's many, many ways to help. Um, and to, yeah, just keep yourself going. So I think we also, uh, we're gonna, we'll share this list, we'll put this list on, um, on our our socials and stuff like that uh but there's a lot of anti-racism resources i mean 
one of the biggest things to do aside from trying to actively help is to educate ourselves about mm -hmm. about why this is happening and about the history black people have experienced in the u.s Mm -hmm. So um, we'll have a list of all that. And it's like everything, you know, it, there's really no excuse to miss any of this. If, if you want to watch, if you want to listen to a podcast, if you want to watch a movie on Netflix, if you want to read an article, if you want to follow people, it has all of these things. So mm -hmm. start, you know, chip away at it. Just start getting in there and like, and mm -hmm. learning because like Tess said, it is like learning to write with your left hand. It's, you know, because we didn't, we didn't learn this in school. It's mm -hmm. like learning Spanish. Like if I had been taught Spanish when I was in second grade, I would be yeah. fluent in it, but mm -hmm. I'm not. So right now as an adult, it's extra work to put in and we have to just do the extra work to learn that language that's unfamiliar to us. Yeah, this is a Duolingo for your soul moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go, um, I think a, a, we're gonna do a lady problem for the last segment, you know, just to kind of, bring a little bit of levity and, you know, be able to help somebody out with their problem. But is mm -hmm. there anything else you guys want to say? I mean, this is an ongoing conversation. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about this, you know, at other points in, in the future in the pod, but you know, I mean, let us know what you guys are doing too. You know, we would love to, I think maybe, I, I would love to hear what our, what our fans have, if they have fun suggestions or anything, or like what has made you feel good during this time and has given you hope. You know, lady to lady comedy at gmail.com, baby. Yeah. And let us know. I mean, definitely any, you know, black artists, writers, musicians, anyone that we can elevate that we should be aware of. Let us know about that for sure, too. If you yeah. have a favorite, you know, black writer or someone that you think that we should be tweeting about, I would love to know. Yeah. But any of those recommendations. Radical empathy is the enemy of fascism. And uh, I love you guys. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> even the listeners, we got this. I hope this didn't come off too preachy. We have our heads up our asses just as much every, as everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we realized that, yeah, you know, yeah. doing a podcast right now, we were like, okay, let's do it to try and speak to our listeners because we mm -hmm. do have, you know, I'm sure a lot of white listeners who yeah. are in the middle of this and some, or whatever, different, mm -hmm. different ends of the spectrum. So we just are hoping that by having these conversations, that these conversations can become more normal between everybody and that you can work through like the awkwardness of maybe speaking mm -hmm. to your white friends about things and that you can just have a place where you you know can listen to people and be like oh okay I can do this I can work through the awkwardness and like actually stand up for something yeah absolutely well okay we'll mm -hmm. take a break and then we'll do a lady problem all right okay. <laughs> Hey, we're back on Lady to Lady and Babs. I'm Brandy. I'm Tess. And we got a lady problem. If you want to send one to us, it's uh, the email is ladytoladycomedy at gmail.com. Lady, lady problems. Lady, lady problems. Lady problems, do you have them? Okay, here we go. Hi, ladies. Thank you for all that you do. I have loved all your quarantine stories and past episodes, too. It's so nice to see women lift each other up and make each other laugh. You're truly inspiring. Do 
you have any advice on encouraging someone to go to therapy? My boyfriend of seven years suffered from di- suffers from diagnosed anxiety and depression. In the past, he has accused me of not intervening when he starts to stop showering and drinks too much, but then apologized and said it was not my responsibility. I appreciate the apology, but I've always kept the comment in the back of my mind. Of course, I do not want to stand idly by while he is not feeling the best, so I'm trying to come up with a kind way of making sure he gets help. I see a therapist and love it, so I'm not coming at this in an accusatory way. I just want him to have the same support I get. Sadly, his personality is such that he agrees, but then never makes the call slash appointment. I even volunteered to do it for him, but he said no. Is there anything that you think I could do? Thanks. Thank you, and lots of love from Laura. Oh, well, first of all, Laura, I'm sorry. This is a really tough thing to go through, because as a person who's been on both ends of this, I know how hard it is to be that person making the call. I know how hard it is to be a partner of that person who doesn't want to make the call. Yep. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's it's really difficult to, um, I, I, I tried to make a rule for myself like a while ago that like I don't want to work harder for somebody than they're going to work for themselves. And that is obviously much easier said than done, especially when it's somebody that you care about. But you, it needs to be something that they, that they force themselves to do. And if that is you needing to like throw down a, a, like, you can, you can be nice and supportive, and if, like, that isn't working, which it seems like it's not working, if it's, like, hey, look, you're going to lose me if you don't do this, you know, there's whatever it, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. I've been in that situation 100%. <laughs> I, I definitely understand it. I, I have found that, like with things that are going to be health healthy mentally and physically, I don't know, at least with my own relationship, the most effective thing is offering to do it with them. Mm-hmm. Like I have found that like, I don't know, it makes it less scary. Like you have someone there. I don't know. Like, so I don't know. I, I wonder if maybe there's something to asking if you already go to therapy, if he would be open to doing couples therapy with you to start. Mm-hmm. Um, because then that's, that's not going to require you finding a whole new doctor. It's not going to require all the rigmarole and maybe that's how he dips the toe in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. that's yeah. a really good idea because you already have, I, and I, yeah, I don't know the logistics as far as like if her therapist would do it or not, but I think you're right in that, like the scariest thing for a lot of people about therapy is just the beginning of it. It's very awkward. It's a person, it's a fucking stranger. You're telling your deepest thoughts to you know, doing it right now over Zoom is weird for some people. I personally think it's great right now because it's more accessible. I love it. Yeah. I, pr- I prefer it over Zoom, actually. <laughs> but, yeah. but I will say that a friend of mine, actually, who I was, I've been really, really trying to go, you know, also, mm-hmm. I, I, they are making excuses, which is very easy to do when you're depressed yep. and you don't want to confront it. Um, but it's just that they were like, well, I don't like it over Zoom because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But really, if you have your partner there saying like, well, let's do it together. Yeah, you mm-hmm. should you can't really say it's very hard to say no to that and say like hey this can be just like a bridge to you going on your own Mm -hmm. but maybe let's just do it together for a little bit and you guys I mean every couple should be in couples therapy probably and like if that can be the beginning of him going and kind of like I mean even that session of couples therapy could you being like I want him to go to therapy (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and maybe that will break it open and then I think there's ways to phrase it too in a really positive way like I believe so much in our relationship and I'm so excited about our future and I think this is just gonna give us an even more stable future I mean I think there's a way to couch it that way so that it's also not like a you're doing this and you really need to change and you're not dealing with your anxiety well and like maybe that makes it a little bit less intimidating too Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's like, I don't know if you can communicate to him or have him listen to this even or something as far as someone who personally, I definitely have a lot of experience with how being depressed and being resistant to, you know, mm-hmm. the things that could get me out of that because you're just kind of like, this is how life is. And also when you're depressed and you have an upswing, you just think like, oh, okay, I'll be fine. Things are okay now. Yeah, Yeah, you think like, oh, things are fine. And then when you get in that down, so then the problem Mm -hmm. is you get in the downswing again. And of course, you're not going to fucking set up any appointments because you feel like Mm -hmm. shit. And then you get up. So it's like that horrible roller coaster of depression that never lets you fix it. Do you know what depression is like? What? Depression (laughs) is like this. Okay. So have you guys, (laughs) have you guys tried those period underwear? Yes. Yes. Do you like it them? was a sponsor. It was a sponsor of ours once upon a time. Okay. <laughs> um, well, a I different one. Some- different ones. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. But I have. I no, mean, no. I know I have yeah. some because I of that. I yeah, have yeah, them, yeah. and I am obsessed with them. I love them. They're amazing. But I need to get like more pairs because I don't have enough. Like I'm constantly washing my underwear for my period. So while I'm on my period, I don't feel like ordering them because they're not going to get there in time. But when I'm not on my period, I'm not thinking about buying <laughs> period underwear. So every fucking month, I'm left with not enough period underwear, and that is what depression is like. <laughs> it's true yeah. it's just yeah it's that horrible like you're in the middle of it it's yeah so mm-hmm. I think I think um all I can say is that from my personal experience I finally got my shit together and went and it completely changed my life and uh I finally am at a point where I know how to deal with my depression and mm-hmm. I have a therapist who I trust who I can con- you know we don't meet all the time but I can contact her anytime I need to to set up an mm-hmm. appointment and I, you know, I don't know if he just needs to hear an endorsement from someone who has experienced it, maybe. But yeah. um, to let him know that he just doesn't, life doesn't have to be that way. I think we, when you're depressed, you just kind of think like, oh, this is just how it is. And when I started meds and when I started going to therapy, I was like, oh, I've been just like pretending kind of that life had, was always going to be like this when it just really didn't need to be. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Wellbutrin and it's been a, like a massive difference. And not unlike my personality has changed, but just like it took the bottom out in a way that things became manageable. Whenever things mm. would get bad, it was like, oh wow, my my deep end is not as deep as it used to be. It didn't change the highs, so it's like, you know, I, I don't feel like a different person. I just feel like that I feel more in control of taking care of myself um, because of it. Yeah, you know, I think people yeah. really get scared of that with, with medication, especially that's gonna change who they are at a base level. Mm-hmm. I, in my experience, yeah, it wasn't that either. I was able to be more myself more than ever, um, mm-hmm. basically. But it, it's hard to have this coming I mean, seven years. You guys have been together a long time. So, I, yeah, I think couples therapy is a really good idea because, you know, being yeah. together that long, I'm sure you've got stuff you need to work on anyway. So it's like you might as mm-hmm. well give it a shot. Yeah. And, I mean, I'll, I'll also say this as somebody that just ended a, a very long-term relationship last year, if – if he is not willing to help himself and it, and it affects you just because you've been with somebody for a long time does not mean that needs to be it. If it like is affecting you adversely in a bad way and he is not, he can't for himself and, and for you as a couple, can't get there, then there is no, you, you, you aren't losing anything. I mean, you're, you're losing something, but there, you're not, you're not, you didn't fail if, if, if this doesn't work out in the long run because of this you know Um, yeah I mean I know you said that he said once that he blamed it on you when you didn't hold him accountable for not showering and drinking and uh, mm -hmm. I highly even though that's the only time he said it I doubt that's the only time you felt guilty for 
yeah for it because if he did it once i'm sure he's done it again in some way Mm -hmm. so yeah you have to look out for yourself i mean that's yeah and that isn't your responsibility to be to be taking care of that stuff like that is no that's a boundary that he's an adult he's an adult and that those are things that like he is responsible for himself well and yeah that is so ingrained in our heteronormative society that like women are the mom so Mm -hmm. we better make sure that they're showering and not drinking and it's like nah, Mm -hmm. dude no you're an adult if yeah if i've sucked your dick i'm not your mom yeah (laughs) well so i was gonna say if you want me to suck your dick then you better fucking take a shower yeah Yeah, exactly um and i mean i would i don't know i'd be i would maybe actually like also like maybe look at reading some like Al-Anon literature or something like if because he, he this sounds like there's a lot of like blurred boundaries for like how responsibility that he's taking for himself versus responsibility that you're willing to take on for yourself and like that's I'm not saying necessarily go to something but maybe like go read and be like oh yeah that a lot of a lot of that program is about like um setting boundaries and knowing like what when you're giving too much of yourself to someone else in in um uh, by by which also like hurts yourself too so I don't know I think analyze how much of your energy is going towards him and if if that is like a sacrifice that you're actually willing to make for somebody or not yeah I mean I will counter what I just said too and I think sometimes actually can be helpful to incentivize things like maybe there is something to like making a deal like hey you sign up for therapy and we can take like a weekend trip somewhere that you choose or you sign up for therapy and you know choose some sexy lingerie for me I don't know like I think there not I, that is in that situation her kind of being like a maternal figure but i think that can be like kind of an effective tool um to manipulate the love of your life whatever means necessary if that's i think it's a good way of making it fun and not daunting and that is an appeal yeah yeah for sure and like i mean I, I wonder if he just like thinks that therapy is like a black mark on like, oh no, that must mean I'm like actually crazy or whatever. I mean, it's that's not at all. So many successful people go to therapy. I mean, <laughs> every like, everybody should. Human should. Everybody should. Every yeah. person. Yeah, it's it's helped therapy. me insurmountably at, at multiple times in my life. Uh, I mean, I'm just basing this on the TV show Billions, but <laughs> I think most like successful corporations have like in-house therapists for the like guys to go fix their brains so they can make more money or whatever so yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i was why i i'm apologize but i'm i've been watching a lot of survivor and um never I, apologize for watching your <laughs> i was gonna say how dare you <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's the host, though, once he was, like, doing a puzzle where they had to, like, figure out some words that he says a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. And he was getting so frustrated. And he was like, I have to go to therapy because I say these words so much. What <laughs> is the puzzle? <laughs> I was just like, Jeff talking about therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, tell your boyfriend to be more like Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Probing statements from Jeff Probes. <laughs> <laughs> there's his podcast um, but yeah that's uh that's our episode thank you guys for listening and if you have any yeah insight on to the episode today and to everything we talked about and to what you're doing or if you want you know we're going to post these resources but if you want to email us we'll also send them to you mm-hmm. and also good luck uh to laura <laughs> yeah <laughs> let us know laura <laughs> All right, guys, um, we'll talk to you next week. Stay safe, okay?
Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.